Sexmuscle.com brings you Quantum Physiques, building strength and power for your mind, your body, and your spirit. Alternative medicine, muscle growth, mood enhancement, motivation, putting your mind at ease, harnessing your maximum potential. Quantum Physiques, here's your host, Brian Cunningham. And welcome to another edition of Quantum Physiques here on RxMuscle.com, where we strive to build strength and power for mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Brian Cunningham, and I am joined for part two of the ultimate fast fat burning show by none other than our resident expert and guru, Dr. Dana Hauser. Dana, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me again, Brian. Yeah, it was great. We got a lot of positive feedback on the last show, actually. And of course, that was only really a part one. There's so much more I want to cover. Um, Dana, I, I got a segue, though, here because I happened to watch Dr. Oz the past couple of days. And I, I got to bring him up because he's very popular, as you know. And he really is, like I guess, the biggest proponent of, um, well, you know, he does a lot for us, I think, in a sense. He recommends supplements and healthy food and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But he had a show on yesterday on on, um, on weight loss, and uh, it was about, you know, food addiction is food addictive. And he had um, one woman who's an RD, which I don't really give a lot of credence to, saying that food is not addictive. You know, you never heard of someone having a cauliflower addiction. But then he had some other guy on, I think a, a doctor at some a, a university showing, like, you know, they did brain scans and they mapped the brain basically, and they're showing that certain foods, of course, are addictive, which is what... But I definitely believe that things like, you know, chocolate or sugar or, or maybe fats um, definitely light up the brain in ways that probably stimulate uh, dopamine, as an example, or you know, they trigger serotonin as well. Um, so the bottom the overall consensus was that while the controversy rages about food addiction. The, the overall consensus was that there is a strong emotional component. The reason why people are getting fat is because they're self-medicating for their emotions, basically. Of course, it ties back to, as you know, Dana, stress, anxiety, and depression. So I just thought maybe I'd see if you had a, um, an opinion on, on that uh, controversy or that conversation that they had yesterday on that one. Well, I mean, I, I, I didn't see the show, but I mean, I certainly side with uh, whomever the individual was showing areas of the of the brain light up. I mean, this is uh, this is something that that has actually been studied at, at significant length. Uh, you know, considering the area of, of of research that you're talking about is uh, still in its infancy, and, and and for something to be sort of uh, a newfound you know uh, school of thought. Uh, there's certainly there's certainly data that that at least makes you kind of raise your eyebrow for a moment and say, well, that you know it certainly makes sense on many levels. Um, but yeah, just uh, just this similar to any uh, addictive behavior. I mean, you know, everybody kind of has a vice of some sort, whatever that vice may be, uh, and, and certainly those things are going to to. to sort of have a particular influence or, or, or what have you, again, whether this be subconscious and to whatever level uh, various neurotransmitters and so forth are involved, uh, you know, dopamine and so on, you know, it, it's certainly anyone's guess. There's, there's been some things, I, I couldn't quote that because it's not necessarily my, my, my prime area uh, of interest, but, um, you know, sort of that motivational side of, of things and what, what motivates someone to even kind of go forward with, you know, various addictions and so on, uh, you'd be surprised perhaps because, you know, maybe that would be more appropriate for me to kind of uh, lend some uh, level of thought, at least in that direction, um, based on the fact that, you know, we do consider food to be quite the significant uh, uh, addictive behavior, if you will, but... Um, but yeah, no, no. I would actually suggest, you know, I would just echo it and suggest, yeah, that 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 there are, you know, well well thought out studies and well developed studies that actually do uh, very much so show show similar areas of of uh, light up patterns, if you will, on uh, you know nuclear imaging and so forth. So, 
That's what I thought. Yeah, I thought you probably agree with me there. And then, you know, today's show on Dr. Oz, which is, again, something worthwhile talking because a lot of people probably tune into him, was about are your supplements killing you? Again, everyone's trying to lose weight, and are these supplements out there on the market killing you? And, of course, the whole thing was, this is passe for all of us here on the board, was that a lot of supplements have been spiked. These Chinese imports, of course, they're all in Chinese, and they've been spiked with things like Fenfen and Subutramine, I guess. And I guess they work, but they're also very dangerous. And apparently... Apparently, um, some of the testing they did did show that these things were very dangerous. They were spiked with all kinds of contaminants like antibiotics because these factories in China, these places where they make them, they don't clean the machines. And so you have all kinds of crap from the previous run going into them. Um, but one thing they said, now, of course, that aside, Dan, and we realize those things are dangerous. They're illegal and people shouldn't be looking to those kind of pills to lose weight. But one of the experts on today says no supplement can help you burn fat, which Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of bullshit, isn't it? I mean, green tea, there's been some, a lot of studies out there on some of these agents, and they really do help to, uh, you know, as far as partitioning or as far as, uh, you know, ECGC helping to lose weight. Is this not true that there are some dietary supplements that can help you? Yeah, I, you know, that is kind of an age old argument, I suppose. I mean, a lot of, uh, how should I say, non progressive thinkers or what have you will, uh, will say this and that. You know, the pharmaceutical industry itself is is based on you know things being developed um, that are virtually concentrates. I mean, sure they're created in a lab in that sense for the most part, but but they're virtually you know it'd be hard pressed for me to believe that there weren't various therapeutic properties, fat loss being one of them, uh, with all the 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 umpteen hundreds and hundreds of, you know, particular herbal agents uh, to cause some level of something. Uh, you know, all of the, the various compounds that, that, that work from a, at least an antioxidant level or, or what have you, uh, you know, these things are, are, are well studied. I mean, it, it's, the problem with a lot of the studies, unfortunately, is that they tend to be focused on uh, sort of, they don't tend to be powered well. So in other words, you know, you have a study of 30 people. Um, you know, th again, it depends upon who's actually putting the money into said studies, and that's that's probably why they're given less credence. You know, there's a suggestion that yeah, a study of 30 people, it's it's, it's not the strongest study you could look at. Sure. Um, I, I think collectively, if you add up, you know, 10 studies of 30 people, you know, you're starting to talk about a significant sample size and you know meta analyses and so forth. Although there be, you know, significant issues with with those, that particular type of study. Uh, or at least uh, a retrograde uh, look at uh, how all of these things add up um, is certainly uh, you know certainly something that that shows a lot of these things to be positive. You mentioned green tea, uh, a lot of positive in the in the in the aspect of fat loss. Um, there are some some negatives, you know, that 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 kind of at least have sort of raised. You know, flags at least in some people. Um, well, for men, right? For men in particular, for I men, guess. For men, right, but, right. To increase, you know, steroid hormone binding globulin and so forth, essentially lowering the level of free testosterone that that a man may a man may have available um, is is certainly one of those things. But again, you know, there's there's a plethora of things. Now, it would be also false to suggest uh, that anything that has sympathomimetic effect, in other words, something that kind of gets the heart going and so forth, it, it's, it's inappropriate to suggest that that would have some subsequent um, thermogenic effect. I mean, you're, you're, you're increasing the body, you're increasing what's being done by the body to, to, to metabolize these items, and as a, as a result of that, 
caloric expenditure from from a basal level even is going upward. Uh, you know, so it's, it, undeniably there's there's a fact. Um, you know, I, I think people want to poo-poo it quite frequently because in the in the grand scheme, there are these various things. I think we probably should revisit this at some later point because there's a lot of things with the with the with all the GMP standards that are coming forth and things that are being proposed and so forth. Uh, I, I really don't think. I don't think we've seen the end of contaminants, but I think that that's going to become a, a sort of thing of the past as we as we kind of progress forward here. So, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, you know, just one example though that I wanted to maybe highlight is um, you know DMP, which of course was available back in the twenties. Uh, it was a very popular weight loss drug, I guess. Right? Of course, since then it's been it's been banned, I guess. But uh, it acts as an uncoupling agent. But I mean, don't omega three fats act as uncoupling agents. Um, you know, I guess I'm not saying os osmic acid is good or bad, but that also is an uncoupling agent. I believe even you may know some other ones. Uh, what's it called? Fucoxanthin, I guess that, that um, the seaweed extract also, I think, acts as an uncoupling agent. So isn't that one mechanism that is very plausible to help burn fat? For example, sure. I mean, you know, each of these things to varying, you know, very varying degrees. Degrees, sure. Um, you know, I mean, fucosanthin is not not at the level of you know a DMP or something along those lines. But uh, yeah. in, in the same sense, you know, we could suggest that even set agents that that look like they're purportedly bad um, are are ultimately not as bad unless abused. I mean, it's it's, it's very hard for me to kind of to kind of tiptoe along lines on that one, but. In reality, to, to look at people, you know, it's the use versus abuse debate. And again, coming back to the potential addictive behaviors that can you know, occur for you know, just these very similar things, you say, okay, well, if X dose works, then 10 times X dose is going to work you know, that much better. Um, you know, again, there's personal responsibility that's going to be associated with a lot of this stuff you know, as well. So. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny because one thing you and I were talking about on one of the threads um, was about, um, I guess, appetite suppressants and things that can work. I guess I'm not sure exactly, but maybe that modulates serotonin because I think serotonin is involved to some degree in the satiety signal going to the brain from the stomach and things like 5-HTP. Uh, I'm not sure whatever else. But uh, so, you know, it's funny with Dr. Oz's show on the emotional component of eating. And I think you even chimed in agreeing that, you know, to some degree, these, these things that can be serotonergic in in activity might help. Is that a plausible uh, idea right, right there? I think, I think we're, you know, referencing, if, I, if I'm perhaps recalling it correctly, but I think we talked about uh, Hudia and... Hudia, uh, there you go, another one, yeah. Yeah, Irvinga and so forth. I mean, there's a lot of things that are out there that kind of have some appetite suppressant uh, offering. Um, <clears throat> the correlation kind of at the end of the day, though, uh, is weak in some of them. I mean, a lot of the crops from the Hudia craze were uh, were harvested too soon. Uh, and That's as a result, true. a lot of the active components weren't really as at least the original studies had suggested. So, I mean, the, the, the demand became, you know, just became so immense, especially after it's featured on like 2020 and so on. Uh, the demand just kind of well outdid the supply and so there was there was a big big mismatch there and the harvests were too quick and ultimately a lot of people ultimately you know poo-pooed that they said hey you know hey you know who is a bunch of junk and 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 reality be told the data is still there that exists and suggested not to be as you know uh that kind of uh offering but uh but yeah i mean there's these appetite suppressants are are, are good i mean there are things natural um Sausage is actually a good example of that, like a like a, a very a beef sausage, uh, a very good appetite suppressant. Actually, it's a very funky 
uh, offering. We don't necessarily know the, 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 the mechanism behind it, but uh, for those of us that, uh, that, that, that want to subsequently hear talk low-carb, that's um, certainly something to keep in mind. Um, there are agents and things uh, that we haven't ne you know, necessarily identified at this point um, that do possess some level of uh, satiety above and beyond what could just be explained by ingestion of, say, you know, the fat component of sausage or the, the protein component of sausage. So, Sure, sure. You know, one thing I want to hit upon as far as the studies, because I understand your point about the hoodie eye, and, uh, you know, it may not be necessarily the, the plant's fault for the flawed studies, obviously, right? It's the, it's the cultivation and the harvesting. And, you know, this is, again, sure. why the science can be flawed. You look at some of these studies on vitamin E, for example, that came out lambasting vitamin E as being not only ineffective but dangerous. And meanwhile, you look at the actual study itself, and I'm sure you'll agree, they were using a type of vitamin E that really isn't as biologically beneficial in the body. I mean, now we know, of course, that gamma tocopherol is much better, um, that you really shouldn't even be using DL, for example. Um, so, you know, there is a lot into these studies that even sometimes the scientists aren't even aware of, right? For example, right. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the, example. the primary producer, the primary producer of alpha tocopherol, which is sort of the, the standard you're going to find in a vitamin E supplement. Um, again, there's eight isomers, uh, the tocotrienols, there's four, alpha, beta, gamma, That's delta, right. and so on. Same thing holds off for tocopherols. But the, 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 the primary producer of that actually, believe it or not, is, is Kodak film. It's sort of this leftover byproduct of Kodak film. Um, <laughs> one of the things that couldn't save, obviously, that company that is interesting is it's home because it's actually you know I'm from Rochester New York so it's, it's oh, something yeah. that kind of hits home but it's uh, uh, that's that's sort of the, the the flawed essence of it I mean but I mean even their their samples uh, the samples of people were were flawed in said studies I mean you're taking people with advanced cardiovascular disease or something in in, in trying to to hedge your bets suggesting that vitamin E is going to save the day uh, well that's kind of the, the the way we think, I think, in America, it's, it's very unfortunate. You know, the, the, the difference between what we've talked about from the get-go, really being proactive about your health, starting now, <laughs> not when something goes awry. Um, you know, and, and, and even the, the, the aged population that, that are usually suggested in said studies, you know, you're talking about people 70, 80 years old, um, you know, that there's bound to be some level of cardiovascular disarray that, that exists. So, it, it, you know, a lot of that could happen by chance. Uh, very, very nasty design in the essence of uh, a meta-analysis from, from Hopkins actually years ago. Uh, that was kind of, you know, hit the media hardcore. And, and you know, a lot of people said, oh, my gosh, vitamin E is, is killing people and so on. Um, but, again, it's, it's, it's sort of taking a, a basis of all of these, you know, uh, alpha-tocopherol studies, um, Wherever source they're using, uh, probably the cheapest available, and and as such, uh, you're getting God knows what, really. But yeah, good point. Sure. Uh, as far as supplements are concerned for burning fat, um, do you have like a, a regimen that you advise or recommend people uh, to go on, or anything anything you want to shed light on? Personal favorites. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it, fat loss. You know, there's there are, and this is kind of the way I look at it, and it's usually that I'll divide them by mechanism. Um, I think that there are you know, there are ways to look at these things. You know, thermogenic agents are are one, uh, as we've kind of talked about. Um, you can certainly look at those things that that impede absorption or, or, or cause issues with absorption. I don't know that I'm I'm too high on that. I mean, you know, you want to kind of have some level of uh, uh, absorption, you know, through foodstuffs and so forth. You don't want to to kind of get to a point where you're, you know, inhibiting all. Uh, 
everything that's being absorbed and all the, the micronutrients that you're essentially going to gain too. So, you know, I mean, that's not the only way. We, we can talk about thyroid. Thyroid support is, is another way. Um, stimulants, you know, that, that kind of plays back into the thermogenics, but there are thermogenics that aren't so stimulant uh, or sort of the non-stimulant thermogenic. Uh, cortisol control agents, um, this is something that has to be talked about. Cortisol, like I said, and I think we talked about it to some level last week, but there are, you know, periods of controlled catabolism, cor- you know, controlled periods of, of cortisol in its necessary state, um, you know, sort of being pushed into the equation because fat loss is catabolic. So fat loss is, a, is, is an actual uh, breakdown process and you're, and you're going to have you know, elevated levels of cortisol in that state. Um, glycemic control agents, you know, things that will help you modify how well your blood sugar is you know, going through the day. Um, you don't want those wide swings. And again, we talked about intermittent fasting to some level last week. Uh, that's you know, something that... It's unfortunate because you're you're actually taking some of the things and you're making them. So you've already knocked off two parts of the equation, so to speak. You've already said, okay, well, I'm going to take glycemic control out of the out of the equation because I'm going to eat once and go long periods of time, and then I'll eat again. And it's the same kind of concept that you know somebody suggests. Okay, well, I'm going to a party this evening. I'm going to eat tonight, and as a result of that, I'm making my penance beforehand. I'll go all day and I won't eat. Meanwhile, your metabolism's crashing down to a screaming, you know, screeching halt. And you do this enough, you're starting to affect the thyroid axis as well. So you know, you start to get some, you know, feedback in the thyroid side of the coin. Um, you know, metabolism is going to continue to slow down, continue to slow down. The same thing holds true. You know, and again, one of the big keys about all of these agents that I'm talking about, all these these groups of agents, and we'll we'll talk about some things more specific. But each of these individual groups of agents is that if they don't agree with the particular diet setting, if they don't agree with the diet you're on, then you may as well not be taking them. Supplements are meant to do just that, supplement a diet. Supplement some, some level of controlled eating pattern, if you will. If, if dietary or fat loss or such is, is in mind, then your, your desire is to use them to sort of augment that in support, hopefully in an increasing manner and in, in kind of making the fat loss all the better. Um, you know, in thyroid agents and, and glycemic control agents come up in a, in a lot of the low carb diets as well. But you're actually fighting against that with something like intermittent fasting, where you're going and you're going to actually have big blasts of, of, of blood sugar at certain points of time. That's going to require a lot of insulin, kind of being so. You know, insulin's kind of the thing that's that's offered uh, to sort of attenuate or bring those levels of blood sugar back down. And so, if you go long periods of time, you get kind of this heightened response to all that you're eating. And that's going to swing up one way, and then it's going to ultimately have to come back down at some point, um, especially if you're going to go back into a period of fast. So it's really the idea to and, – and this is really one of the reasons that low-carb diets work, quote-unquote, is not so much because they're quoted ketogenic. Ketosis is not something that's required for a, for a low-carb diet to work. We know that. Glycemic control is the reason the said diets work. You're making – the, the the most stable blood sugar and, and, and you know through the course of a 24-hour period you're making your blood sugar you know the slope very very stable and so you're not going to have you know big rushing uh, increases and so forth um, because you go past a certain threshold you're ultimately going to get to a point where you store the remainder as fat so if you can avoid that now mind you 
meals that are considered frequent also come at a cost. In other words, a caloric cost. So sometimes we forget that calories still count, and you have to can, you know you have to take that into into account, and, and the meals become smaller. So if you want to increase metabolism, you're lowering the amount of calories per meal, but you're increasing the number of meals. Vice versa, if you want to gain weight, sometimes you actually decrease the number of meals, not necessarily to an intermittent fasting state because you want to get back to hypermetabolism at some point, likely, uh, if body composition is your goal, but you're going to sort of slow those things down. Now you're going to say, okay, well, I'll take the calories and I'll make, you know, you know eat more calories per sitting, but less meals over the course of the day. And it's, 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 it's a nice kind of, slew, you know, Sweeping, you know, sloops. I, I don't really know how to post pictures on the forum, but again, this is another one of those picture times where I could actually explain it a lot better. You know, pictures of worth a thousand words here. I can, I can talk about it, but, but it, 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 it's, and it sounds kind of simple theoretically, at least. You know, if you want increased metabolism, you're eating more, but you're actually, you know, the amount at each sitting you're eating less. It's kind of that grazing mentality, vice versa. If you if you want to gain weight, you're doing the opposite. You're eating less, but you're eating more at each seat. You know each seating. So, and again, they're completely opposite from one another. But it's 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 playing off the glycemic control. It's playing off the ability to to actually because I mean you and I both know <laughs> laws of thermodynamics. You know matter cannot be created nor destroyed without anything. I mean you need something to put into that equation. So if you want to build something up, you need excess of something, usually that comes in the form of calories, and you try and, and, and put that on in the form of muscle, at least that's the hope, you know, at the expense of fat, so you try and stave off how much fat you're going to gain. There's likely, you know, some fat level you're going to gain in that scenario, but in fat loss, you try and do the opposite. You try and maintain as much muscle as you can while you're hopefully staving off the, uh, the, 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 the various... Uh, uh, ability of the body here to 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 want to hold on to to fat, which is actually an uphill battle, and then you can kind of include a lot of these things. Now, if it smooths out your blood sugar curves by having something like an alpha lipoic acid or something along those lines, uh, that that's that's hugely favorable on my end is 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 alpha lipoic acid, and it's uh, one of the things I combine usually with cinnamon is sort of a very cost efficient blood sugar regulator, and, and some of the salts work a little bit better. Um, and, you know, the sodium and potassium salt of the R, which is one of the, the, the various isomers of alpha-lipoic acid, the R form. Um, and, and this thing, honestly, if you use the sodium salt, you'll notice it almost instantaneous. It's a very, very strong salt. Um, sometimes people get a little... Uh, kind of a little uh, headache or something along the lines of that, you know, sort of the blood sugar is kind of dipping. And you can kind of modify your dose accordingly. Um, you know, some things better than others. But uh, so so alpha lipoic acid being one of those glycemic control agents, um, uh, gymnema is another one. Uh, great data behind it. Um, Cinnamon, cinnamon is a is a is a phenomenal agent. Uh, it's had mixed reviews lately. There's some there's some uh, studies against it, but uh, the dose isn't really in accordance with what you need to to, to see results in some of those studies that uh, that have come back quote unquote negative. Um, and then we'll talk kind of thyroid and cortisol. The the luxury with cortisol control, like I said, you are are able to stave off cortisol. You know, by 
or at least it, 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 by doing that, you're going to stave off muscle loss while you're trying to do this whole fat loss equation or trying to trying to govern or dictate this fat loss equation. Um, that said, you have to be careful because periods of controlled catabolism still work well throughout the course of the day. So you don't want to be anabolic all the time. And granted, the, the fortunate thing is you can't. You've got, a, you've got a controlled catabolic period already programmed in every night. Um, so, so, so you've got some level that's seen there. And you can see a lot of the water balance and everything else that kind of happens. Obviously, a lot of people think they look the best when they wake up, and then it kind of goes downhill after that. Um, but, and then thyroid support. You know, with a carbohydrate-restricted diet, carbohydrates become, I mean, carbohydrates are the primary stimulant for, you know, at least from a macronutrient form, what's going to stimulate the thyroid or, or support thyroid health. Um, probably the best agent I would, I would have to say is the, the 7 keto DHEA, um, at least as far as, you know, from a data standpoint. There are, there are some thyroidal supplements. Uh, I use supplements very loosely in this category. Uh, uh, T2 being one of them, um, uh, a diiodothyronine. Uh, there, there's two various forms of that that are kind of going around. Um, but you have to be very careful with that because you, you run the risk of messing up the thyroid axis at the same time, um, something that could very well be you know, similar to if you were to decrease calories to a certain point. Again, the thyroid is very, very, very finicky. You have a situation where if you're decreasing calories and everybody will go on caloric restriction to some level, you are going to have to continue to decrease calories, decrease calories, decrease calories to ultimately see some level of, of weight loss. And the, the problem with that is that as you're doing such a thing, as you're decreasing calories, decreasing, de you know, decreasing so forth, the thyroid is kind of slowing down at the, at the same time. And so you, you start working against that. And there's actually, you know, while I say the carbohydrate is the best regulator of that, you know, carbohydrates tend to be the thing that gets bastardized first and kind of taken out of the equation, um, which may throw support for if carbohydrate ingestion is to be had, that you're going to at least at some periods have controlled levels of carb ups or, or you know, glycogen recompensation periods or, or what have you. Because your, your, your attempt is not only, again, to, to use that to your advantage to actually fuel subsequent workouts, but at the same time, you're going to actually use that to actually support the thyroid so the thyroid function doesn't get thrown so far off whack because it, it will uh, with long-term low-carbohydrate uh, ingestion. So um, all of these various things, you know, will tend to, will tend to, you know, work to your advantage, but you, but you really got to do it in a way, like I said, above all else, a thing that, that is very key is to do it to, to match your, your diet. And sometimes people take these proprietary blended things that have pretty much everything in it. And that's not necessarily required for every diet. So it's, it's very tricky. Um, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm, I'm telling clients, you know, single ingredient, and, you know, fat loss agents and so forth because I have them use them in a certain way and it, it allows us to control the utility of such agents. And so even if we go back to that study thought that we were talking about earlier, you know, if you're going by a study that suggests such and such to be, you know, worthless, then, you know, 
was the appropriate you know dose used and so forth? Was it used in a way that matched a particular diet that it would have truly assisted? Uh, probably 98% of the time, no. Um, even the way low carbohydrate is defined in the literature is very different for every study. And so you'll get these various authors concluding that low carbohydrate diets are terrible. <laughs> and at the end of the day, they say, well, wait a minute, your definition of low carbohydrate is, is it doesn't gel with what, what my definition of low carbohydrate is. So that too is, is, is an issue. So there's all these inherent issues um, that exist. Stimulants, always popular. Um, the problem with stimulants, if you're trying to control cortisol, stimulants, caffeine, you know, himbine, and so forth, you're going to get a lot of issue with having any periods of controlled anabolism because those things are constantly stimulating you know, cortisol secretion, and it's just a big stress to the body. But fat loss itself is also a big stress to the body. So you, you've kind of got you, you got to govern these things, and you got to know when to take them. And that's not always easy, and it's certainly not you know outlined well by manufacturers of said agents, uh, which is perhaps the most unfortunate in all of this, um, because they know that at least the novice person who's going to look out you know at various fat loss supplements, they're not looking for a supplement that has one ingredient. <laughs> They're not looking for coaching on said one ingredient, but they, you know, go to the store and they're going to pick up the thing that has 25 things in it, as opposed to the one that has maybe three things in it. And that's that's, you know, again, now you're also talking about decreased dosing and so forth if you do those multi-ingredient products. But yeah, so the very key is again, you know, using these things. Each of them have a place. Um, macronutrient blockers, perhaps the the one exception. I don't know necessarily that I like blocking fats or I like blocking carbohydrates um, because it does hinder some of the micronutrients at the same time. Uh, in particular, we can suggest that to you know with any fat blockers, because fat blockers are obviously not going to allow things like fat-soluble vitamins to be absorbed, at least not well. Um, and we already struggle with that, believe me. The, the, the absorption offering for a lot of these vitamins is not great. So... Yeah, again, there's 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 a lot of things to be said about all these categories. I still think it's it's nice to think of them that way. You know, stimulants, one class, or or proadrenergics, things that kind of get things revved. Um, as a result, metabolism being one of them. Hence, why we suggest that yes, some of these things by default have uh, have effect. Another one would be the thyroid. Another one would be the cortisol control. Another one would be the glycemic control agents. The macronutrient blockers don't necessarily love them. But, uh, and probably the last, I'd suggest other thermogenics, things that don't really fit cleanly into one of those other categories, whether that be uh, things that, you know, assist with uncoupling or, or thermogenesis in general, um, raspberry ketones, ginger, capsaicin, so forth. Uh, a lot of these things, they'll, they'll, they'll heighten your, your metabolic rate, but they're kind of multifaceted or we don't have the best, the best queuing in on what the true mechanism is to a lot of these things. And, and again, some of them, you know, herbs, you know, they are, they are nature's proprietary blend. Yeah. So you have copious tallies of, of, of things that are, you know, extracts and so forth, and people are kind of hedging their bets and guessing what the, the active ingredient to a lot of those things are. So, I mean, it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting science to it. It is, but it's, it's something that really, before taking a lot of it in, in you know, before ingesting anything, at least personally, in my body, 
it's kind of like understand what I'm doing with it and why I'm doing it. Uh, and I unfortunately think a lot of people just want to, you know, say, okay, how can I, how can I lose 20 pounds and how can I do it yesterday? Well, the supplement or the pill isn't going to do it, but of course we'll always have that situation happening. Quantum physics, building strength and power for your mind, body, and spirit. Visit ExtremeFitNutrition.com, the newest and hottest supplement super site. We carry all the major brands, including Species, MHP, BPI, BSN, Optimal Nutrition, Gaspari, and many more. Low on cash? No problem. ExtremeFitNutrition.com offers competitive prices that our competitors can't beat. Now you can supplement your diet without having to supplement your bank account. Here's some of our specials. Buy $100 worth of Species products or metabolic nutrition and get a free t-shirt and bag. Buy two. $200 worth of BSN products and receive a BSN t-shirt and shaker bottle. Remember, there's only one extreme. Visit ExtremeFitNutrition.com now. If you train hard, you need to recover hard. Training elevates cortisol, but so does stress and tension. Stress is the number one health risk you face today. and not only causes you to put on abdominal fat, but it's also one of the contributing factors in the top six causes of death which includes heart disease and cancer. But now you can relieve that stress, rebuild, recover, and feel great with fast-acting Gabitrol. Gabitrol works quickly to help you improve relaxation and recovery, reduce cortisol, elevating stress, and reduce binge eating. Plus, Gabitrol will also help you to get that deep, restful sleep. Warriors are built, not born. And now you can build a better body with fast-acting Gabitrol. Recommended by New York Times number one best-selling author, Dr. John Gray. Gabitrol is available now at rxstress.com. Hydrolyze Ultra, the leader in cellular hydration water. Hydrolyze Ultra water has been designed by shrinking and reshaping molecules to allow a faster and more sustained delivery into your cells. Our cellular water has gone through a magnetism and laser treatment process, along with adding electrolytes to our special ingredients. This allows all nutrients to be absorbed at a maximum cellular state. By using Hydrolyze Ultra, all nutrients, supplements, and carbohydrates you consume will be absorbed at a greater rate. Lactic acid gets flushed faster, and you'll feel full hydrated. Get the advantage that top athletes have achieved. Try Hydrolyze Ultra today. Visit HydrolyzeUltra.com. That's HydrolyzeUltra.com. P28 High Protein Bread is the official bread of RX Muscle. Are you looking to incorporate more protein into your meals or just want to enjoy bread again? Then look no further. Try the 100% natural P28 High Protein Bread. P28 High Protein Bread is a formulated revolutionary breakthrough product. Packed with whey protein isolate, 14 grams of protein per slice, 12 grams of carbs, 8 essential amino acids, and made with 100% whole wheat. Fear bread no more. Build a better body with P28. Order today at HighProteinBread.com. P28 is also now available at Bodybuilding.com and many other retailers. Order now. HighProteinBread.com. P28 Bread. RX Muscle approved. Fusion Bodybuilding makes bodybuilding's strongest supplements, and they're committed to giving back to you. Fusion Bodybuilding not only want to promote the bodybuilding lifestyle, but they also want to help build the sport. Bodybuilding is all they do. It's their obsession. You know the feeling. That's why you're here. Visit Fusion Bodybuilding at FusionBodybuilding.com or join in on the conversation on the Fusion Bodybuilding fan page on Facebook, where you'll find IFBB Pro Q&As, contest giveaways, and nothing but in-depth bodybuilding talk. Fusion Bodybuilding, bodybuilding's strongest supplements. Head over to FusionBodybuilding.com today. 
rxmuscle.com. Now you have a place to turn when you want the truth on bodybuilding, diet and exercise, up to the minute news and more. Visit the rxmuscle.com forums featuring celebrity Q&As with IFBB professional athletes, top amateurs and the brightest minds in the industry. Listen to our weekly radio shows including Heavy Muscle Radio, Muscle Girls Inc., After Hours and more. Contest coverage, videos, even our own social networking site, Rx Muscle Place. Visit rxmuscle.com. A couple things I want to pick up is, uh, you know, like Life Extension just came out just talking about how blood sugar, you know, how they revise the numbers down even lower. And I guess I'm just thinking, well, number one, obviously, you're not going to get thyroid downregulation right away anyway. So you're going you're to get at least five, six, 10, 14 days before you're going to start going to, you're start going to, you're going to start seeing thyroid downregulation. That's one thing I want to just address quickly. Second of all, is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming if you have low blood sugar, you're going to increase insulin sensitivity. So that means the body's going to work more efficiently at processing those large meals, if I were to guess, especially post-workout, uh, especially as an example. And, you know, what's so bad about low blood sugar? I mean, you know, again, this whole paleo thing is based, and to some degree, there seems to be some biological plausibility that, you know, our ancestors typically had to, um, you know, get up in the morning and hunt before they could eat. So maybe they were getting up and actually doing some intense exercise to get their meal in the morning. Um, or maybe they were going through large periods like the way a lot of carnivores do, uh, feast of famine, right? A lion spends 20 minutes a day hunting, they gorge, and then they spend 23 hours a day just relaxing and resting and stuff. So maybe you might want to comment on a couple of these comments here. Yeah, so, so first you talked about thyroid downregulation and taking time. Very true, very true. And in fact, uh, a ketogenic diet in its truest form um, you know, sometimes it truly takes to deplete glycogen, to, to deplete storage form of carbohydrate. It really does take, you know, more than seven days. I guess, you know, usually it's nice and neat and it fit in a nice pattern where we said, okay, well, we'll, we'll actually be low carbohydrate through the, through the five-day work week. And then we'll carb up on the weekend. I mean, it's very, very, very conducive to, to whatever life enjoyment can be had with the diet, I suppose. You know, very, very, very conducive, very, very, you know, it, it's in line with what most people's lifestyles would essentially maintain. You know, I have a little bit more luxury, I suppose, on the weekend. Um, not to suggest that most people that do it would actually then inhibit uh, the amount of fat they're doing and kind of shift the cycle, but um, the way it's properly supposed to be done, but in any event... But we also know, too, that the depletion of glycogen is, is something that also, in, in a lot of people, takes greater than that time frame and, and probably closer to, 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 to that 10 to 14-day mark that you're, that you're talking about. Um, and keeping in mind that carb-ups in any of, this, in any of these time frames or in any of these, these time periods would certainly be beneficial. But they're also beneficial to fuel workouts. So you don't want to go in too glycogen depleted. Or then, as we're, we talked about last week, you know, your intensity level obviously suffers. You know, how close you're lifting to your one rep max is, you know, from a weight lifting perspective at least, is drastically down. Um, I mean, you're not going to be pushing the intensity envelope, at least not until you've carved up again. So if that happens to be, you know, 14 days, um, not having an, an as intense workout for, for two weeks might not appeal to some. Um, and, I, and I don't want the diet to be the reason that people's you know workout regimes fail, and ultimately, this not being as conducive to them would be a reason that they then abandon said diet, and then we're back to square one. Um, 
So, I mean, with that, the yeah, thyroid dead regulation, probably close to two weeks <laughs> and resetting the axis if it's kind of faltered, you know, four to six weeks on the return. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of quicker to, to unfortunately get it into a, a bad state than it is to get it back to normal. You know, it takes a wow, lot longer. Six weeks. Scenario, no, so. I was thinking I would do like 10 days low carb and then maybe, you know, two days carb or, or 14, 14 and two. But You're you, telling me that I'm already going to my thyroid? You can do that. No, 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 no. Because if okay. we're talking 14 days to kind of get us to a point uh, where the thyroid becomes, you know, significantly out of whack, that, I mean, you might see some level of what we call euthyroid six syndrome or, or non-thyroidal illness. Uh, you know, if somebody goes into a low carbohydrate state, say, say five to, to seven days, but usually true derangements to the axis, whereas you're, you know, you're actually having pituitary effect and so on. Yeah. Uh, probably not for 14 days of, of sort of dietary disarray. Okay. Um, you know, from a carbohydrate. So no, no, no. Ten days is fine. Uh, in, in fact, not bad at all. Uh, well, like I said, I, you can kind of play with that too. And again, if if, if those listeners want to be proactive, again, you can kind of dictate how frequently uh, you'll actually, you know, check your labs and or what have you, uh, see what it's doing, you know, see what it's doing and, and what effect it's having. Uh, I think you'd be surprised because there are so many individual differences. A quoted laboratory norm, uh, you know, they'll take 100 people, they'll take the average of said offering and that becomes your norm. Um, it's very hard to suggest what the norm is for, for, for everybody. So um, if you're feeling pretty run down, it may not just be that your glycogen's down. It might be that your thyroid excess is off, and that's going to be a little mm. bit, uh, a little bit of, a, of a dilemma as far as how now you recreate what, what you've kind of put sort of you know, out of whack or in that, that, that state that, that is no longer normal or homeostatic or what have you. If you decrease intake, that's another point you made, if you decrease the intake uh, of food, and, and we can even go along the lines of uh, intermittent fasting. I think intermittent fasting is taking that, that concept to the extreme. Insulin sensitivity, if, and, when we, and I, had, I talked on this a, a little bit last week, but um, if you're going 48 hours, and this is every single person, and it's worth repeating, 48 hours with inactivity yields some level of insulin resistance, and this is for everybody, not diabetics, I mean, diabetics included, but not just diabetics is probably more appropriate to say. Um, you're harboring some level of insulin resistance. In other words, the insulin won't be as responsive, um, and your blood sugars won't be as well regulated. However, that said, barring all things in order, barring you know some level of physical activity uh, every 48 hours uh, minimum, or a diet that kind of plays into that, you're not going to suffer any precipitous degree on how sensitive insulin becomes. We do, we, we were responsible for 99.9% .9 of the insulin resistance that occurs, and it's usually inactivity. Um, <laughs> And, and subsequent diet, but I'm talking Western diet, not, not sure. probable for most of the people that will listen to this. And so, so you're really talking, I mean, somebody who, who's truly insulin sensitive. And again, this can, be, this can be assessed very easily through a lipid panel. How, how insulin sensitive or how insulin resistant are you? So it's interesting, we talked a lot about the lipids and cholesterol this week on the forum. Uh, you can actually see that 
decreased HDL is one of those insulin-resistant markers, uh, but increased triglycerides is probably about the most quintessential thing you can look at. Fasting triglycerides, uh, or fasting blood fats, essentially you have this glycerol molecule, there's glycerol backbone, so to speak, with three fatty acid uh, tail chains that are sort of hanging off, hence the triglyceride name, tribine 3. Sure. You, with, with triglycerides in a fasted state, should be less than 70. So oftentimes, you know, we quote less than 150 or 200, uh, depending upon where you're looking for, for normal values. But if you're truly fasting, because you want to know what insulin sensitivity looks like, anything over 70, and, and it's truly graded, how high it is over 70 is going to be the influence. Over 70, insulin resistant. Less than 70, insulin sensitive. And you can grade that downward too. Say your fasting triglycerides are 50, pretty insulin sensitive in that state. So as far as this is concerned, like I said, intermittent fasting I think is taking it to an extreme, but lowering carbohydrates themselves will increase insulin sensitivity as well. And at the same time, likely stave off muscle wasting. Mm. The problem with people who go on low-carbohydrate diets is oftentimes they mess up the, num the amount of protein that you should use. You know, standard diets should probably be about 60 to 70% fat. Standard ketogenic diets are true low-carb diets to that level. Um, and, and healthy fats. Now, you know, you look at a lot of these diets and you suggest, okay, well, I'm just going to go out and have, you know, a tub of lard. No, that's not what I'm suggesting by any stretch. Uh, you tend to overdo protein, at least a lot of bodybuilders do, and myself, I've done that plenty of times, um, you know, you get to a point where you have to ingest so much protein, so much said protein over the course of a day, um, and I do agree there's an amount, uh, it's something that I call the subgluconeogenic threshold, there's, yeah. there's a point where you get to a process where you're stimulating blood sugar formation, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause the same physique damaging effects, you know, longer term. Um, and so, so you're, you're actually running into the, the, the sort of the problem here that you could actually be feeding yourself carbohydrates from an indirect source. <laughs> the carbohydrates sure. coming, the storage carbohydrates at least, coming from, you know, protein and its subsequent breakdown. So you realistically have to keep protein on a low-carbohydrate diet to 30 to 40%, no more than that. 40% sometimes is on the high level. And again, this is going to be individually based. So it's, it's a little bit more challenging as to where you fall there. If you're not getting the results you want, then I'd say go lower on the protein even. Um, if you find that you're, you're, you're losing not only fat or you know getting a better-looking physique, body weight's going down, so forth, and you find that you're losing strength, now that's a different scenario. That's where you possibly need to add a little bit more protein because now you're probably staving off too much muscle in that, that particular scenario. Mm. Um, you know, I kind of want to actually take a, a break for a second. You know, there was a couple of questions uh, and, and, and comments about this particular dietary structure that we had, and I want to make sure that everybody is aware this is not for performance. It's solely for physique. It's solely for fat loss, as we introduced it last time. Um, because a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, that, that, you know, that's going to completely hinder my performance. And some of these diets may very well, um, especially if not done right. I mean, there's, there's, there's proper ways to do these things. And um, there, 
you have to be almost very stringent to really partake in one of them. It's, 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 not, it's, it's, it's actually not a half-assed option. There, there isn't one for <laughs> set offering. Uh, it, it just doesn't exist. I mean, you can't, you can't half-ass a truly ketogenic diet, um, and it's very challenging for most people to follow. Very challenging. So, that, that, that's so, kind of where I was going with that. So, I don't know if you have other... <laughs> yeah, no, this kind of gets into, I guess, um, well... I'm not sure exactly what you are a proponent of. I know we mentioned on one of the previous shows back several months ago, um, you know, uh, Dan Duchesne stuff revisited, I guess, Body Opus. So um, do, you, do you want to elaborate on that or you want to change topics? It's up to you either way. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's same, same conceptualization. Um, you know, his diet was written over the course of a, of a week and very conducive to life and, and not necessarily a bad thing. Um, some people questioned as to whether or not five days of depletion was, was adequate for yeah, sure. And it's probably not. Um, you know, but, it's, but, it's, but, it, but it works. And if it's the thing that you'll stick with, it's probably something that would do a good job. And so I kind of maintained that thought and kind of expanded upon it. I mean, because again, you're talking about, oh gosh, um, I believe it was 96 is passing, if I, if I, if I have it correctly. Um, <clears throat> I might be off uh, on the years, but I think it was 96. Yeah. In any event, uh, with that passing, I mean, you talk about a lot of time that had evolved. Um, and I think I had done a, I think the original Body Opus Reloaded concept actually came 10 years later. So it was 2006, I want to say. Uh, and sort of written in the same light and, and written with the person in mind whom would actually employ a five-day carb depletion, two-day carb up or, or carb repletion, super compensation, whatever term you'd like to use. It was written with that in mind, including some of the things that perhaps weren't around at that time. You know, sodium and potassium salts of of, of the R isomer acid, sure, of, yeah. of alpha-lipoic acid. You know, that wasn't a high, highly talked about compound, at least in 96. Um, so, so sort of bringing it up to date. And now a lot of times people say, well, how would you employ it? Then would you then take alpha-lipoic acid and employ it on your carb ups? And this is very different. The answer is no. You actually use it to regulate your glycemic control throughout the course of your five-day carb down or, or oh, wow. depletion offering. And okay. then you allow, you allow super compensation. You don't want to decrease the amount of blood sugar and you don't want to decrease or, or, or kick more insulin into the equation when you're actually physically carbing up. You, 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 you want insulin to do its thing on its own. You're sensitive it's, it's not to worry your sense. A lot of people are like, oh, it's going to then, you know, take all these calories and make them, you know, muscle. No, that's not, that's not exactly how that works. You know, it's going to increase insulin sensitivity, and it's going to help that process as you're going through your depletion, because your depletion itself is going to help you become more insulin sensitive. Less carbohydrates do that by default. Mm. So as you're going through your five-day time frame of, of depletion, you're becoming more and more insulin sensitive, you're actually augmenting that in a positive direction, becoming more and more insulin sensitive by embarking on something like alpha-lipoic acid. Then during your carb up, you're kind of allowing all of that to take effect based on your own body's you know, physiology. No, so that makes it, sense. It, I get that. It's a very different sense of how to employ that. It's kind of an example. It goes back to the fat loss agents we talked about before. 
you know, employing the agents right is a little bit more of a challenge. It's not something that can be sort of widespread taught, so to speak, because everybody's bodies are different. They're doing different things. But if somebody's employing a five-day depletion state, that's kind of the way you go, at least with that particular compound. And it's kind of one of those things that I talked about during uh, during the rewrites. Um, and, and since there's actually been a rewrite to the to the reloaded concept as well. Yeah. Um, nothing in book form, but uh, you know something that because uh, again I don't know who owns the rights to uh, the body opus name. It's just more of a tribute article, style, you know, style thing. But but um, in any event, um, there's certainly more and more things that kind of become available to us. Uh, we've actually had guys go and, and, and constantly take uh, glucometer measurements and actually see uh, the various blood sugar changes that occur and what foods kind of affect that the most. Kind of like a glycemic index, I suppose, but um, kind of seeing what would be best in a carb up or a repletion or, or uh, a super compensation state. Um, and it does tend to work best, honestly, if you're if you're starting simple carb, going to complex carb, and then going back to simple. So it's kind of this almost um, optimization curve that kind of exists. Uh, you know, you're you're kind of progressively getting more complex through the first day, and then you're kind of coming back down on the other end uh, by getting more simple. Um, and then during that time period, uh, another important thing is the first day. Of a, of a true, you know, 48-hour carb up is going to be double your basal metabolic. So it's going to be double your basal caloric rate or whatever caloric offering you have during the course of the five days for ease, let's say 1,500 calories. You're going to double that the first day wow. of your carb up. Okay. So it's going to be 3,000 calories with, you know, going high carb, now only essential fatty acids being kind of the required offering. So yeah. sort of an old-school train of thought. And then the second day, you are reapproaching a new uh, basal offering as far as how many calories you're offering your body. So one thing we also need to understand is that with our bodies, and if we want to consistently progress, you know, caloric intake should not remain static. It's changing sure. weekly. And so you've got you've to expect what you're going to do come the sun. Sunday is the caloric movement day, if you will. Yeah. Sunday is the day where you're going to say, okay, well, what's my caloric intake going to be like these next five days, and how do you plan that? Well, again, the same things we talked about. Is your strength going down? Because you're going to want to increase the amount of calories. You, you know, you've got your calories set too low. Is it going to impede fat loss? Maybe to some level, um, but but likely you're already in – and most people who do you know diets set their caloric you know intake far too low. Um you know, again, 2,200 calories, 2,200 calories is considered by the World Health Organization, at least, a quoted starvation diet. 2,200 calories or less. Wow. Um, so so it, it's not as low as you think. Yeah. Um, 1,800 for females, so it's still it's still quite high for females. Most females say, oh, I mean, in just 1,500 calories. Um I mean, so so keep in mind. I mean, it is it is something. But again, you don't want you don't want that metabolism to come to a screeching halt. So you don't want to you don't want to lower calories too much. Uh, you don't want to lower periods of, of of reduced intake for too long, i.e., intermittent fasting. Um, but at, you know, and and again, you you have to employ these 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 options 
And this is something that will build upon the muscle that you have as well. So you, you still want to maintain all the muscle you can possibly maintain while doing it. Now, you're not going to probably maintain 100%. Uh, there is going to be some level of, of loss. It's just the nature of catabolism. Um, but you want to hold on to as much as possible because of the caloric expenditure that we talked about last week. Sure. You know, maintaining a pound of muscle and how many calories you're talking about burning, just having highly metabolic tissue. You're trying to shift the balance of your, in your body from, from, from fat to muscle. Obviously, you're not changing tissue type. You're not changing fat into muscle. But, but what I mean is you know, the concentration of fat in favor of the concentration of, 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 of muscle. So... Sure, sure. For the you know, of Dana, Jeff had uh, Jeff the producer had a question. Actually, just maybe a little bit of clarification about um, exercising in the morning. Uh, you know, do you think it's good? I, I think we covered some of it last week. Maybe you just might want to go into a little bit more about the fact that uh, you know what's the major fuel source. I thought it was going to be glycogen at first, of course, but then since you're in a catabolic state, you're probably going to shift faster into, I guess, a fat util- utilizing state if you're doing exercise in the morning, whether it be weights or cardio. I guess, and then also, I guess, the next part of that was, you know, is that good or bad? I mean, my opinion is it probably is good because if you're already in or in a catabolic state, uh, if, you, if your goal is to lose weight, it might be good to kind of extend that by doing some exercise in that state. What do you think? Yeah, well, you know, this train of thought has actually changed, uh, you know, as of late. Um, there have actually been, I want to say it was two studies, could have been three, um, that have actually suggested the fasted state cardio not to really produce the, the results. Um, and uh, again, so I mean, if you're employing that, where you're you're kind of doing your cardio at a at a time that's different from weights, or if you kind of go to do weights in the morning, you know, they don't tend to get the best um, intensity level out of that. Sure. Uh, especially if you're going glycogen depleted. If you're if you're going because I mean, through the night you're losing glycogen. I mean, glycogen will be depleted at some level. It's not going to be depleted like if you were on a. I mean, if you couple that, I suppose, with a low carbohydrate diet, now you're talking about you know yeah. some, some real nasty sessions later in the week, I suppose. But uh, but if you're if you're if you're doing that, recent research hasn't supported that. Um, while it makes sense theoretically, it just hasn't panned out that way, at least in the controlled setting. Um, so while I, I, you know, I'm kind of up in the air, but I'm I'm probably leaning more towards the the more current research, and only because you're still allowing controlled periods of catabolism. You already have the controlled period of catabolism through the night, and you have you know the level of controlled catabolism that's associated with a workout period. So. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. To kind of get yourself up and and go. Because again, if you if you're if you're associated to okay, well, I'm going to do an hour of working out. Even and I think I'd even be easier pressed to say, hey, you know what? If you're doing that, then just tag on 15 minutes to the end of your session, and you're you're mimicking a glycogen depleted state, but it's not the same kind of glycogen depleted state coming from your 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 overnight sure. hibernation. So. You know, it's a little bit different, um, a little bit more control, and you have better control of that, and you can modify that accordingly. They actually did, um, you know, again, we also thought that the fat-burning state for, for cardiovascular stuff was, was actually, you know, sort of doing a more moderate to, to sort of low-intensity, uh, longer-term cardiovascular uh, activity uh, as opposed to the sprints, and we kind of talked about, you know, you know, HIIT training and so forth last week and, and, and its superiority. And they've actually done studies, whereas people who do maybe seven sprints, seven to 11 sprints, 
I think the number was seven. I, I'm just hoping I'm quoting the, 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 the actual study right. Seven um, in a session. Seven, 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 yeah. So you're doing seven, okay. 30, 30 so, seconds. Sprints. Exactly, sure. And that's actually superior to running for 30 minutes. And, you know, at a lower intensity or what have you. So, you know, you can kind of get get by with some certain things from a physique standpoint. That is wholeheartedly superior. Uh, and, and the difference in weight is, is amazing. So I've got to say that even that research supports that you want to maintain as much muscle as possible, as much metabolically active tissue as possible <coughs> to, to really incorporate into a, a true fat loss regimen. Um, you know, so again, I mean, how long would it take someone to do seven, you know, 30 minute or 60, 30 minute, 30 seconds sprints? Pretty fast. Pretty quick. 10 minutes. Yeah. 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 10 minutes. I mean, yeah, you're exactly. going to take a minute or, you know, whatever in between or whatever. You know, a lot of people think that I'm, I'm kind of unusual because I'll do that kind of thing uh, in the gym. I'll, I'll kind of sprint it, you know, for 30 seconds and I'll hop off the, the machine or something like it. Now I will, at least in Ohio, it's, it's, you know, kind of cold and frigid and so forth. So I'm not doing a lot of road <laughs> training or anything, but, but I mean, you know, throughout the, 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 the remainder, even uh, during the, uh, the times where I'm running outside, I'll rope off a certain, you know, amount of, you know, sort of space or area and then kind of do that sprint and then you kind of wait for, for a bit and you do your second sprint and so on. So, I mean, it's kind of, it's not something where you're, you're even doing the hit style training that's been studied. You're, you're actually doing something where you're just physically doing the sprint, rest, sprint, rest, sprint, rest. So you don't really even have to do that, that modest jog in between and you get superior results as opposed to sort of a long-term and, you know, monotonous Sure, uh, as I call it, hamster wheel activity. As you're oh, kind yeah. of you know, running you to go those nowhere. damage on your body too. Exactly. Right. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you're increasing. I mean, the fat loss in general is going to increase some level of oxygen, you know, reactive oxygen species. But in the same sense too, uh, so is so is exercise. So you kind of want to, you, if you're going with fat loss, you know, and, you, and you're talking about exercise and, and damaging stresses to the body, you, you kind of want to have that to some low level of you know, of offering. You got cortisol; it's highest in the morning which by default saying, okay, fat loss is, is catabolic, so cortisol is highest. For whatever reason, it doesn't necessarily work out that way, at least not oh, with really? okay. cardio. Um, and, and again, I got to say that this might just be a situation where having more metabolically active tissue, having more muscle is just superior to. Not to suggest both, both won't do something, but whether or not you're shifting it the way you want it to, uh, you know, in both cases is, is probably a debate. So, you know, I would suggest that that really kind of the idea is to still maintain the muscle and then, you know, kind of do everything to, to have very controlled things where you can control. Think periods of catabolism or periods of breakdown that you can control so you can make sure that they're finite. Uh, and, and I don't think you do that. I think you extend the sleep period, fasted catabolism, which uh, ends up play, you know doing more harm than good. At least again, according to recent you know recent research, and I and I think you know on, on this week's thread, I'll 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 go out and dig those those couple studies up just so you can kind of have them in actual print, or at least the the followers of the uh, of the forums can have them in actual print. Um, and then, like I said, I'm gonna put some pictures up for the glycemic stuff, but. Sure. Okay. Those might be good things to, to 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 talk to further talk about that are you know going to kind of extend well beyond our our time. Yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. Um, we're actually out of time. It's come come to <laughs> the end of the show here again. I want to thank you once again, Dana, for uh, giving us this enlightening session. Um, it's been very good. And again, if anyone wants to get uh, questions to Dana, you can always get them on Facebook. Um, 
You can like it, like his medicalmuscle.net, right? I, well, actually, you yeah. can like his Facebook page, the Medical Muscle, of course. But then also, uh, he's on the forums too, answering questions. So that's a great way to reach him. And then also, you have a website. Can you give us the URL in case people want to reach you there as well? Yeah, that one is uh, medicalmuscle.net. Okay, that's great in case I want to reach you. So once again, Dana, thanks a lot. I look forward to having you contribute to the forum thread here, and uh, we'll be talking to you real soon. Absolutely. Okay, take care, buddy. Thanks, Brad. So a lot of great information there from uh, Dr. Hauser once again. Uh, that whole idea of uh, cardio or uh, fasted cardio in the morning definitely seems interesting that Dana seems to be more of a proponent based on the recent uh, evidence to do it, I guess, not in the morning. Um, that's, and also, I think, workout intensity. He seems to be hammering home the idea of keeping the workout intensity with the weights uh, up. So that's two key things I took home. And then, of course, the diet, um, the whole idea of five off with uh, taking alpha lipoic acid. And then the two days of the carbs with no lipoic acid, something that I never thought about. I would definitely appreciate that one, too. Um, I know people were expressing concern about niacin. Um, I'm going to have him answer that question on the forum. So definitely go to the forum and then you can get some more questions answered by niacin. But my impression is that the niacin flush is actually safe. There's nothing um, deleterious there or damaging going on. Um, and once again, uh, for Jeff and I that work so hard to bring you this show, if you guys could like our Facebook page, that'd be great. And I want to thank you for tuning in. This is Brian Cunningham, your host on Quantum Physiques. See you next week. Quantum Physiques with Brian Cunningham is dedicated to harnessing the power of the holy grail of health, fitness, lifestyle, and success. And you'll hear Quantum Physiques every Wednesday evening.